What is going on, Suns fans? Justin here, and with me, as always, is my podcasting partner, Paul. I'm the baby, gotta love me. And welcome to this episode of Fanning the Flames, everybody's favorite Phoenix Suns podcast made for the fans. That's you guys by the fans. That is us. Paul, what's up, bro? Not too much. It's uh, been an interesting week in uh, Suns land, so I think we've got a decent amount of stuff to talk about. we got some things. we got some things to talk about. Absolutely. Absolutely. As always, I want to point out, Oceans Over Airplanes, bringing us our intro and outro music. Check them out. So, right to it. Interesting week in Suns Nation, like you said. Um, biggest thing being, obviously, the Alfred Payton trade. Not the not the magic player that people were thinking the Suns were going to get, but a magic player nonetheless, right? Yeah. So the Suns, in case you've been living under a rock for the past few days, uh, traded for Alfred Payton, gave up basically nothing. They gave up a second-round draft pick, which is one of the 347 second-round draft picks they have right now. So now they have 346. they have all the second-round draft picks. They have them all, all of them. Uh, uh, and now they have all but one. So... Paul, thoughts on the trade initially, and we'll make this quick because I think we agree here. I think most Suns fans agree here. Yeah, I mean, it was, it's a no-risk, high-reward uh, trade. You know, they literally gave up nothing because they already have potentially three first-round draft picks this season or this year plus three second-round – four second-round round draft picks prior to the trade. So they, they're not bringing in seven players. So right. they gave up basically an asset they didn't want or need to get a guy at a um, at a position of need for a tryout, essentially for a twenty three game tryout. Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly what it is. It's a tryout. You know, kick the tires on Peyton, see how he's looking. He's a restricted free agent at the end of the year, so the Suns will continue to control the rights to him. Uh, you know, one way or another, if they're so inclined. And uh, yeah, it's really, really a, a no high high reward, low risk trade, if you will. So I'm I'm on board. I think pretty much everybody's on board with that. Why not? It's a win. It's 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 a it's a win winning deal regardless of what happens with Peyton at the end of the year. Um, right. So so we're through one game of the quote unquote Alfred Peyton era. Uh, we're in the middle of the second game, which he started off 9 for 10, scoring 20 points and grabbing six boards in the first half, which, hmm, you know, that's not bad, I guess, if you're into that kind of thing. And he probably would have had have more than two assists if any other Suns player could get a shot tonight. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're sitting, we're recording right now, and it's halftime. Peyton, like I said, is 9 for 10, and the rest of the team is collectively 10 for 37. So not a good look. Uh, but we don't need to talk about the rest of that right now because this is this is the Alfred Payton episode. Yes, sir. That, that's what I'm naming it. I just named it that. So okay, <laughs> back to that first game. First game against the Nuggets. It was a 123 to 113 loss to the Nuggets. Um, but you know they they stayed in that game for for the most part throughout. They were down two at halftime. They were actually up seven about halfway through the third quarter before uh, the Nuggets closed that third quarter on a 21 to nine run. Uh, putting the Suns down five at the start of the fourth, and the Nuggets just kind of kept that margin between five and eight and ten uh, throughout the game. The rest of that game, yeah, it was definitely it was definitely um, a situation where once you like every time you st- thought the Suns might start to go on a run, like somebody on the Nuggets, I think a lot of times it was uh, Will Barton would just hit like a dagger three mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. just put the Suns back on their heels again, trying to get back into it. Sure. No, absolutely. And, and it's one of the things those you look at it, and the Nuggets, as things sit right now, are a playoff team. Suns are playing without Devin Booker in the first game with a new point guard. And, you know, a 10-point loss, it's a loss, sure. Uh, but, you know, that doesn't really uh, hurt us that much because you know why, Paul? It's all about the pick, baby. DeAndre Ayton. <laughs> Four minutes and 27 seconds, approximately, <laughs> that took me, just to put that out there. Um, where, where, where is that sitting in the rankings at this point? Well, I think right now that's probably like second second <laughs> fastest. I think last week was like a minute and a half, so that one probably won. Uh, I guess I could have let in and said that, you know, Peyton rhymes with Aiton, and I would have gotten this in about, you know, three and a half minutes ago. could have been a new record, but I didn't think about it. My bad. So, anyway, back to that game. 
back to that game. Yeah. Uh, Peyton, you know, his first game with the Suns put up 19, 19 points, six boards, nine assists, shot eight for 13 for a guy who, uh, you know, has a, uh, is known around the league as not much of a Having shooter. A questionable shot. There you go. Uh, you know, shooting eight for thirteen, uh, and then, like I said, nine for ten in the first half tonight. Uh, so far, maybe maybe he needed that change of scenery, and, and and you know, found the shot. Maybe the hair needed to grow a little bit more to cover his eyes just a touch more, so he could make the shots. I have no idea, but he put up a nice stat line. <coughs> uh, and Jackson and Bender both put up nice stat lines in that game as well. Jackson going for twenty-seven and five. Uh, with four blocks and a steal, and and I I think most importantly for for him, especially as he's kind of come along throughout this season, started playing more you know fast but not out of control. He had zero turnovers in that game, which is which is uh, you know pretty key for him because it shows he's taking care of the ball and again playing fast but not out of control. Right, and Ben, I was actually really impressed with Bender. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had he had a really really solid game. I was I believe this is another career high for him. Um, and he just I, I, he put in work on Jokic. Mm-hmm. I, he was being really aggressive, which is something that I think everybody's been talking about as a concern of his because they can see the skills there, but his tentativeness and his passiveness is not allowing him to utilize it and maximize it appropriately. And hopefully, and I know people there are people out there who are sick of us talking about Bender and hoping that he turns that corner, but this is I felt like this game was a really positive sign and maybe a lot of it really had to do with you know they haven't had a good point guard to get him the ball in situations where he could do what he is good at doing sure and and you know i think taking it a step beyond not having a good point guard i mean they haven't had really a point guard that is and you know not trying to disrespect the other point guards on that team or the point guards that have been on the team this year but they're just not NBA caliber starting point guards. You know, right. I mean, the best, the best really that they've had would have been, shoot, I can't really, I don't know if I can pick a best quote unquote out of the point guards they've run out there. But Tyler Ulis was, you know, a, 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 he was drafted at least. Cannon. Um, yeah, sure, Isaiah Cannon until he got hurt. But right, but, just from the standpoint of he could he could control an offense better than the other guys could. R- right, sure. And then I mean, if if Ulis is the next one down the list after that, I mean, those are two guys right there that are backup point guards you know they're at best right um and and you know to to your point about bender and saying you know he's hopefully turning the corner this was a good game in terms of looking at his long-term potential you know last time we spoke about this some folks were talking about well he comes out and has these flashes but they happen few and far between they need to happen more regularly and i totally agree with that uh, in, in looking at the last five games that Bender's played, starting four of them, he's averaging 15.5 points, give or take, 15.4, uh, 6.5 boards, and, and 2.8 assists in 31.5 minutes. So maybe he is starting to turn that corner a little bit where we'll start to see these positive performances occurring more frequently and not being the anomaly out of his usual you know, three, four points, three boards, whatever the case might be. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm really going to be interested to see what happens when uh, Booker comes back and we can see Booker playing alongside uh, a quality point guard in, in Peyton. Not that he's a star, but you know, he's quality. He's a legitimate starter. Mm-hmm. I on the low end of stars for now in the league, but he's much more so a legitimate star than any other guy who's played point guard, as we already said. But then just the spacing and the balance that that creates for the rest of the starting lineup to see what, how that um, affects the other guy's opportunities and, you know, just access to play, to make plays. Sure. And, and first of all, to anybody out there listening, wondering why Paul's kind of fading in and out a little bit, Paul, you are, Paul's unfortunately not here in the beautiful state of Arizona today, so we're doing this remotely, uh, which is not normally the case. Uh, so we're dealing with the uh, technology that we have, right, my friend? Yeah, pretty um, much. And and secondly, I feel like you and I sometimes, and this is scary, maybe more scary for you than for me, but we share a brain because I'm looking at my notes that I kind of took before we recorded tonight. And I do that. I take notes, believe it or not. And I, said, me, good and, sir. I, and I said, interested to see what Booker can do alongside Peyton. 
Well, almost like the exact same words you just said. That's, that was like a little creepy for me. Um, but I obviously totally agree with you. It will be interesting to see what uh, Devin Booker can do with a starting caliber point guard, or at least an NBA caliber point guard um, uh, next to him. Because, you know, he, he had that with, with – uh, uh, Bledsoe. Bledsoe. I look at that. I already forget his name. Um, well, he had that with <laughs> well, Bledsoe. We've had but, so many guys who right exactly. Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> and Bledsoe right now with the number of point guards, uh, number two aside, the number of point guards we even run through this year seems like a decade ago at this point. But regardless, you know, he played alongside Bledsoe, but they they never really had. You know, they were tanking towards the end of last year, and towards the end of last year was when um, Booker started to kind of really come out of. You know what what was a end of first year slump that rolled into a beginning of the sophomore year slump. And then they shut down Bledsoe. So they didn't have a whole lot of time to mesh. It'll be interesting to see. Obviously it'll take a little time perhaps to get things figured out with Peyton. Although if the first game at least is any indication, then maybe it'll happen a little quicker than uh, we would expect. But once they start to get used to each other, once they start to get familiar with each other, I'm absolutely interested to see uh, how that affects, well, frankly, both of their games. Right. And I mean, I think like what, one distinction I think you need to make make between uh, Peyton and Bledsoe is Pey- Bledsoe was a score first point guard. Sure. And, I, and Peyton, for all intents and purposes, I believe, I feel is much more of a pass first point guard. So I think from a standpoint of skills meshing together i think that peyton will mesh a lot better with booker than bledsoe ever could just because blood that wasn't bledsoe's first instinct wasn't to find the guy who has the best shot it was his second instinct if he couldn't find a shot for himself right no I, i i will not disagree with you on that point i think we absolutely will um see perhaps a little bit different of a situation in that backcourt once it's those two guys together because of that exact reason um excuse me and let's not let josh jackson get lost in this too and i i know this has been put out there a lot already but obviously jackson's continuing tonight not so much um but it is the warriors it is the warriors exactly um and, and we have four more games of this. Oh, uh, four? No, we have three more games of this, technically. Well, but we still have the rest of this game. Yeah, well, okay, so three and just under a half. And yes. seeing as Kerr yes. doesn't care about yes. the game. Yeah, what was that? What were you talking about before we started recording, Paul? Explain he's, that to he, me again. He, so, basically, I don't know if you, you've, if anybody's seen the video, but uh, they probably have. At a, Kerr literally handed uh, Andre Iguodala the, the whiteboard, Board and walked away and let Iguodala run the huddle and draw up the plays that they were going to play. And it wasn't even like Iguodala was on the court at that point. He was in warmups. So <laughs> Kerr's not coaching this game. <laughs> He's letting his guys coach the game. You gotta, that, what a show of respect for another uh, NBA team. I was just going to say, you got to love the respect that the Suns demand across the league. Well, I'm, I'm watching right now while we're recording and Kerr's at least standing up and walking around on the sidelines, so he's got that going for him. So he's he's he, there's the appearance of doing something, something, <laughs> um, yeah. But but back to Jackson. Ever since that you know figured out benching he had uh, back at the beginning of uh, January, uh, you know it's been 17 games and he's at 15 and a half, 5.2 and one and a half assists on 44 and a half shooting and 30 percent from three point range. Uh, but uh, interestingly, I think at least in the nine games that he started, he's got 17 points a game, almost six rebounds a game, almost two assists, uh, almost a full steal and 1.3 blocks a game on 47% shooting overall and 31% from three. So, you know, not to, again, beat a dead horse, but it appears that Mr. Jackson is starting to uh, finally you know, put things together and it's been for a extended period of time. That player that we are expecting to get on the Suns when he was drafted is perhaps finally coming to fruition and hopefully just continues to grow. Did you hear did you hear the stat or have you seen the stat that since uh the turn of two to two thousand eighteen, um Jackson has scored the uh second most twenty point game games of any rookie behind uh, Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, well, I assume. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I did see that, and then you know, right there is kind of you know an, an example of of what I'm saying. I mean, he's starting to come to his own, and he's have he he continues to have 
certain games where he doesn't shoot well. This one, the, this Warrior game being one of them. Um, but in his defense, nobody's shooting well besides Alfred Payton right now. Yeah, but it's it that's something to come that that'll be that's expected. You know, as a rookie, that's definitely expected. And it's all about having those having more positive games and negative games as this year plays out. I feel like Earl Watson right now saying stuff like this. <laughs> and can I also point out when I called him Mr. Jackson, you know, the first thing that popped in my head was like, as I'm speaking, it's going through my I head can't. right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, if I, if I, if we had the, uh, the, the right to do it, I would play that song right now in this podcast, but I can't. So everybody out there listening, just go and download. I'm sorry, Miss Jackson or Miss Jackson by outcast and listen to that. And that, that'll give you the same effect. Okay, so any other thoughts on that initial game, on that first game of the Alfred Payton era? Uh, just, <laughs> just that it um, it was promising. I mean, I think I would have been – I mean, I don't even know if I need to be concerned. But well, I, actually, scratch that. Actually, the one concern I do have about the Alfred Payton trade is that um, – how that affects the Suns going into free agency. So you're looking at a player who, as of right now, is just, you know, average at best. And he's having, and that's because he's having a breakout year compared to three underwhelming years prior to this. And he's going into restricted free agency. So that means this, his cap hold is on the books for the Suns. And being that he's a top 10 pick, that's a pretty significant cap hold. So. It really, on paper right now, it really limits the Suns' ability to make significant moves in free agency. And and that cap hold is just about $10 million. Yes. Just a shade under $10 million. Just a shade under $10 million. But, I mean, to flip that, though, with the way the um, this um, free agency period is shaking out, there are not a lot of teams with with cap space available. So... I think there. I think there's only six teams that are below that that are currently scheduled to be below the cap going into net going into the summer. So there's not a lot of cash out there for guys to be getting like big deals and whatnot. So mm-hmm. it could, in the in the long run, be beneficial to the Suns that they can get Peyton on a on a pretty reasonable um, discount of a deal. That so it won't affect too much going forward. I mean, so even if even if the Suns end up drafting point guard options that are that are there, Peyton can be like a bridge till that guy's ready to start, and then can fill become the backup at a reasonable price, and we're not overpaying him to be that backup. Mm-hmm. Or he can be the starter, and we draft a your favorite player in the world. Yeah, and that's that's more more along the lines of what I'm think is going to happen. Uh, you know, I I, I I I I venture to guess that when you know the Suns are making moves, especially move like this, obviously they're going to have an eye towards the future and recognize that this is going to put that cap hold uh, against against their sal- against their salary or on their salary right. cap. I don't know how to phrase that properly, um, but. They know that's going to be there, and I, I presume they they have a plan in place. I mean, if you think about it, they can sit there and go, "Okay, we're going to watch Peyton throughout this year, and if we feel like he's worthy of you know getting getting another deal from us, we know what we're willing to pay. And if they're not willing to pay that, then perhaps they just renounce his rights, and there goes that ten million dollar cap hold. Right? That's how that works, right? Right. I mean, I think probably my biggest concern about that is just that the, I hope the Suns don't start negotiating against themselves. And then paying more than they really need to for for him because there is no other market. And they have his bird rights. Let him go out there. If he gets a big deal, then you assess that. If he doesn't, right. well, go, and go I, from there. I think we've seen from the Alex Len thing last summer that the Suns are not going to be negotiating against themselves. I mean I, I, that would have been an opportunity or a time when they could have done that. But I guess it also depends on what Peyton does throughout this year. And there are always other options too. I mean you've got Chandler and Dudley sitting there tying up, what, 23 million or so, give or take, on under the cap or right. on their I cap. Mean, Len's tying up seven. Mm-hmm. 
And I mean, he, he could, I, again, similarly in the, in the bear market that the, uh, free agency is going to be, the Suns could really get him as at another discount that could make it warranted to maybe release Alan Williams. Who's currently on a, uh, um, I think he's got a team option for this year. He's, or it's, it's non-guaranteed. He's non-guaranteed or for five and a half million next year. So there's definitely things that can be done there. Um, not that I want Alan Williams. I'm actually looking forward to seeing him come back, see what happens. Mm-hmm. Cause I think he, he comes, well, he comes, he's expected to come back like next. I think, I think, the, I think the projection was sometime in March. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and, and that aside too, I mean, you've got, let me ask you this question. Yeah. Cause I don't know the answer. Maybe you do. Since Peyton's on the squad now, yeah. And obviously, free agent the quote unquote free agency period doesn't start till sometime in July, right? Right. The Suns are the Suns free to negotiate an extension or a contract with Peyton before the free agency period begins because he's currently a member of the team. Um. No. Because he's on a rookie. I think it has to do with the fact that he's on a rookie deal. Okay. It's because I think. Um, you have until basically like October first or something like that to 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 extend somebody on a rookie deal and to then extend after somebody that, on a rookie. And then they, after that, they are a restricted free agent. Okay. Okay. Well, then never mind. That was that that completely torpedoes the idea that I was going to go down. Uh, so I'm not even going to bother. But, um, but I, I there may be rules with regards to that period between. Let's say the period between the draft and free agency that I think you may be able to negotiate with them in advance. Like once the I don't know if they if this operates like it does in the NFL, but once the season year ends, quote unquote, if that makes sense. Something the NBA like that. Year. Yeah, I think you may be able to go after your own players to an extent <coughs> that uh, compared to um, going after just other players that are out there. Okay, well, but I, I could be wrong. And, and, you know, like I said, I, I think that the Suns obviously trade for Alfred Payton knowing that that cap hold's going to be there. Um, right. And and they, they have options, again, like I said, in that in, in their uh, roster as it currently stands. I mean, even if you waved and it stretched both Chandler and Dudley, just hypothetically speaking, you know, you're going to save about $8 million, $7.5 million right there on the cap. Um, so... Or excuse me, you're going to save more than that. They're going to then only count for like seven and a half million, as opposed to that twenty-three million. So there are options there in terms of being able to maneuver and get yourself cap space if you want to make runs at folks. And again, I'm going to go out on a limb. Uh, I think there's a you know, McDonough seems to be kind of like one of those uh, under the radar kind of polar polarizing figures in Phoenix. Like everyone except for apparently me and James Jones hates Robert Sarver. Mm-hmm. Uh, McDonough people uh, are either, hey, he's doing his thing. He has his plan in place. Give him the opportunity. Or you have people that are like, he's had time. I'm done giving him time. He hasn't made you know any progress, which I completely disagree with. But I'm going to go ahead and say I'm trusting that McDonough knows exactly what he's doing he knew what he's getting into when he's giving up a you know basically nothing to get this player that's going to have this cap hold, this ten million dollar cap hold, and he's going to do what he thinks is you know financially is going to work out, and there's a way for them to have that space uh, moving forward. Uh, and I, I you know I frankly I don't know that I've heard him interviewed and been asked about this issue that we're discussing right now. Um, I heard him on. Uh, he was on Doug and Wolf, I think, earlier this week, but I don't think this issue was brought up. Um, and perhaps, uh, you know, maybe somebody with media credentials, <clears throat> bright side guys, uh, maybe one of maybe one of them Dave, will bring this Evan. up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Maybe one of them will bring this up to him uh, in the not too distant future. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be interested to see what he says because I mean, he definitely made um, made a point to say that like the because of Booker's advancements, the timeline has been pushed up. And that he plans to be aggressive this off season. So, what is what does that mean with what he has constru- currently constructed with the cap? I mean, obviously, 
He likes to trade. He sometimes gets too trade happy. But um, he has also, in my opinion, he's made some good trades. He's actually started to find some good value picks like Peyton, like um, Troy Daniels. Both of those guys were basically got for nothing. Nothing. Yeah, I mean, like they, he, they traded tra- the, he traded the second round pick that they gave us to take Troy Daniels right. to so Orlando to traded, get Alfred Payton. Yeah, because they, they traded a second round pick for Troy Daniels and a second round pick. How, how did we convince Memphis to do that? Uh, some sort of voodoo magic? I have no idea. I don't know. Why did he even need the second round picks at that point? But anyway... So he traded that and then took the second round pick he got back and then get, made that Alfred Payton. So he knows how to get value. It's sometimes it's the blockbusters that maybe he gets a little too inside his head, tries to do a little too much. But, you know, maybe he's also learned from that, seeing as we haven't really had any like major blockbuster moves in sin, really since – that trade deadline those few years ago. Right. Well, well, when you talk about, you know, blockbusters getting in his head, I mean, the last opportunity that came up that, that you know, was fresh in everyone's mind-ish was the whole Kyrie thing. And right. back, back then I, I had said I don't want Kyrie Irving if it means I have to give up my number four pick that turns out to be Josh Jackson, knowing that Kyrie is going to maybe be here for two years and then be gone. And, right. And, and I think when Josh Jackson was – performing woefully earlier this year a lot of people like see we should have traded that for uh for Kyrie and I think those same people are probably gonna do a complete 180 right now after the way Jackson's been playing for the past month and a half and say okay well I'm all right with Jackson as opposed to Kyrie especially again knowing that you're not gonna have that guy around for maybe not knowing but not having a guarantee you're gonna have that guy around for more than two years right and I mean it's it's not like the it's not like he's been lighting it up over on the Celtics in the uh, recently. They've they've been kind of a bit on a skid, mm-hmm. and so take that, put it on a less than team that is the Suns, and I'm not seeing much more. Was the pre-LeBron return Cavs? Sure. So is he really? Would he really have helped us? But again, I was on the same. I was on the same page. You were on Kyrie. I think for whatever reason. For whatever reason, I've never liked Kyrie. He just—he's a player I just don't like. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is about him. I don't know if it's a style of play, if it's an attitude, whatever it is. I just—it—he just kind of rubs me the wrong way, and I just—I didn't want him on my team. I, you know, there's there are those players where you never consider them on your team just because. The idea of them just never even crosses your mind to like consider it, and then there are the players that you actively don't want on your team. And I feel like to me, Kyrie was in that boat. So I'm happy McDonough didn't make that move. And obviously, it was um, I, I think it was the right move. And the right, right non move. The right non move. Yeah, the move <laughs> to not make the move. And I just I think the, the the next couple seasons will prove that out in some way. Sure, sure. Yeah, and and you know we'll we'll see what comes of it. And you know I, I if if Alfred Payton keeps playing the way he's been playing, then I I have no problem with the Suns bringing him back um, as long as it's a reasonable deal. And you look around the league at the teams that are projected to have some cap space and. There aren't a lot of teams that really seem like they'd be looking in the point guard department, but then at the same time, there aren't a lot of point guards out there. So, you know, it's it's hard to say exactly how things are going to play out. But, you know, at this point, we can sit here as of today and say, hey, we got a point guard who we've desperately needed, and maybe not necessarily him, but a point guard. And, right. And so far, he's been performing well, and we had to give up basically nothing to get him. So. I'm going to sit here and say I'm perfectly happy with it still. If he is a son next year because he's performed well enough to be a son, then so be it. If he's not, then then so be it as well. But, you know, I think, well, time will tell. <laughs> Got to be more cliche right there. <laughs> so, all right. Anything else on that, Paul? 
I don't think so. Is there okay. anything you want to hit hit on, like any of the other trades that happened, like maybe how, like ones that affected uh, former Suns players, or just you know how they may affect the landscape for the Suns and their pick, or just any other just random thoughts on the trade deadline or other. I feel like NBA I news? feel like you're asking me that because you have something you want to talk about. So I do. I, would, I, do, I, would, I, also, I don't, but I would love to hear what you have to say. Um, <laughs> just, I, I'd like to go back to the, uh, um, to, you know, I, I remember we talked about last year um, how when Isaiah Thomas was kind of exploding for the Cavs or for the Celtics and how we would, we were all about, yeah, I still don't regret the deal. I don't regret getting rid of him. Yep. I think that's kind of been proven right. I mean, he had one kind of random-ish breakout period in Boston, but he's kind of he kind of he showed his true colors. I feel on the Cavs having to deal because coming back with the injury and whatnot, and just in that environment, he definitely stirred the pot, which I think is what people forget to realize about what happened with the Suns, And part of the reason why McDonough was so adamant about moving him as well Mm -hmm. during that period, he could have kept him around for, he didn't need to move him, but he realized the chemistry issues that he was causing and, and needed to excise that from the locker room. So, so you're saying it was a good move for the Lakers to pick him up because they don't have any sort of, you know, loud, obnoxious presence around their team, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I think that's a good, good move for ratings. <laughs> it's, it's a good move for something. For keeping keep, keep them in the news. For, for, the, for the big baller uh, reality show, perhaps? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I'm still totally fine with the Suns, uh, uh, trading away it, uh, I, I forever will be nothing. I don't think will ever change my mind on that. Uh, and, and you, you hit the nail on the head. Obviously he, he does the chip on his shoulder grows a little too large sometimes perhaps. Right. And I mean, I guess the other question was that, I mean, there were a handful of point guards that were moved on, uh, on trade on trade deadline day, are you happy that with of the ones that were moved, the Suns were got Alfred Payton over some of the other options that were obviously out there? Uh, like, yeah. Is there any I one mean, of them that you would have preferred? I, I I don't think so. I mean, we talked about the possibility of looking at a George Hill a few weeks back, uh, and and you know for purposes of what you laid it out as, I, I guess it, it would have made sense, but. It wouldn't have been a move that would have given the Suns a guy that you could expect to be around for a while, whereas I think Peyton, there's the possibility, again, depending on how he performs. Um, Emmanuel Moutier uh, is another name that comes to mind, and you know, I, I frankly haven't watched a lot of Peyton or Moutier outside of mm. when they're playing the Suns. Uh, right. So, but, but, I mean, just, again, going back to what the Suns were able to get for or give up for Peyton. Uh, I'm totally fine having Peyton instead of Moutier. And if I recall correctly, when they were looking at moving Bledsoe, one of the things that came up was a possible trade up to Denver uh, and and that a return would have included Moutier. Uh, and and that is you know indicates to me what they would have been asking for and the Suns obviously would not have been able to get the type of deal uh, they got for Peyton if they wanted to look at a Moutier. So uh, and, and, and again, frankly, I don't watch enough of them to really know <laughs> whether or not I think Moutier or Peyton's a better player, but based on what I've seen so far from Peyton, I'd say Peyton's a better player. Right. I mean, I, I think they both, I feel, I feel like Moutier is what Peyton was last year. He's just a guy who hasn't really been able to put it together and mm-hmm. maybe he, he will, maybe he needed a change of scenery to be able to do that. I maybe even. Maybe Peyton really needed a change of scenery right. to do that as well. Because I mean, I know the Suns have kind of been a dumpster fire for last couple of years, but I mean, the Magic, right? Oh, those guys are a dumpster fire, right? And I mean, I, you can't hate on anybody who kind of wants out of that situation and just a reboot somewhere else where 
with the team that maybe actually has a plan. Because, I mean, yeah, the Suns have kind of sucked, but they've had a plan and they're executing that. Nobody knows, nobody really understands what the Magic are doing. Well, it seems like now it doesn't help. It seems like now the Magic are saying our plan failed miserably, so let's start this all over again. For the Uh, sixth time. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, that kind of goes back to what we were discussing with the whole, you know, cap situation, you know, as far as, as far as the Suns having a plan goes. That's why I'm, Maybe to a fault, confident that McDonough is 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 thinking, you know, ten steps ahead and saying, "Okay, I'm taking on this cap um, hit, but I know exactly what I'm going to do if this works out, or at least I know what the Suns are willing to do if this works out, and I know what the Suns are going to do if it doesn't work out." And right. uh, that's that's all us us as fans can really do is is put that faith out there because, well. Ryan McDonough's not listening to us anyway, right? No. No, he's not. <laughs> and I know Robert Sarver definitely is not. And good for him. Yeah, he is. He has no need to. Okay. So, is that good? Anything else there, my friend? No, I, I think we're good. All right. So, last thing we want to discuss here. Suns currently sit at 18 and 39, moving quickly to 18 and 40. 25 games left as of now, 24 and a half, 24 and three, one quarter. Uh, so they'll have 24 games left after they lose to uh, Golden State here this evening. How many wins the rest of the way, Paul? Well, I, we both did this exercise. We both looked at the schedule. Well, let's, let's talk. Sorry, let me, let me, I asked you the question. Let me interject and step back. Let's talk about that okay. schedule. It's uh, 24 games left, three, not including tonight, three against Golden State. They've got two against each Utah, the Clippers, the Pelicans, the Thunder, and the Cavs, and then one game against the Blazers, Grizzlies, Hawks, Heat, Hornets, Pistons, Magic, Celtics, Rockets, Kings, and Mavs. And if my calculations are right, that puts, again, not including this game against Golden State— that puts the Suns at 17 games the rest of the way, 17 of the 24 remaining games against teams that are 500 or better. And I right. want to say two or three or maybe four of those games are against teams that are hovering right around 500. So in terms of the schedule, that gives everyone an idea of just how difficult this schedule the rest of the way is, which is something we talked about about a month ago, and that right. is the Suns were performing well, but performing well based on one of the easiest schedules so far the league, any team in the league had had. And the rest of the way, it was going to change a lot because the Suns were going into a difficult part of the schedule. Now, and I'm done kind of interrupting correct. you. Go on. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Go figure. We're right again, yeah. Paul. We're right again. Very, very shortly after everybody's like, we need to go all in and like try to go for the playoffs this year. Oh, no, here's way too many losses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it doesn't, mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't help. We had a couple injuries to key players there and whatnot. But anyway, and rest of the season, I'm guessing anywhere between five and seven wins. There's about five teams that I see on, on the remaining ro- uh, schedule that the Suns should have a good chance of beating. And those are all the teams that are at the Suns' level. So theoretically, let's say they sweep them or they go four and one against those guys, and they may they easily could not. This could be as low as two or three more wins. That's it. But I'm guessing five to seven because I think they can probably do get three to four wins out of those five guys or those five other horrible teams, and they're gonna catch other teams on you know like a schedule loss type of game where they're playing, they're playing rest. Suns are playing rested. The, uh, their opponent is playing, uh, on a back to back and, you know, they just catch them at the right time and they're hitting shots and the other team's not really trying and they, they eke out a couple wins here and there. So I'm guessing anywhere between five and seven wins the rest of the season. And I'm going to agree with you and I'm going to go on a quick tangent here and go back to something we were discussing before. I'm I'm a I just got a Twitter alert as we're sitting here recording this. Uh, and apparently, Kerr is having a different player run the huddles throughout each timeout. 
So it was Iguodala, <laughs> then Draymond Green, and apparently David West is uh, has has run their most recent huddle. So is it just like the guys who aren't playing tonight? Because I, I know I think Draymond was out. So Dray- Draymond was out because he got elbowed in the face, bled everywhere, and has to wear braces for two weeks and yelled at a referee and got fined fifty thousand dollars. Well, I guess he's out because he probably got elbowed in the face, not because of all this stuff. But you know what I mean. Um, but tangent over. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, I'm, I'm right there in the same ballpark. I, I, I went through that schedule. And I said six wins. I'm assuming the five games, the five teams you pointed out, would be Memphis, Atlanta, Orlando, Sacramento, and Dallas. Yes. Problem with those games is that four of them are on the road, so that makes things a little bit different. And it gets to where you were talking about. Maybe it's two or three wins. Right. Um, and and I specifically said six because we had when I when I brought this up before we recorded, I was thinking we'd get an exact number of Paul over here, Mr. Wishy Washy with five to seven. Okay, fine. So but I named my five. I'm gonna say even though those four games are on the road, they're gonna win them. My my my, my sixth game, get ready for it. Oh Go- Golden State. Oh yeah? And not tonight though. Um, yeah. <laughs> second, second to last game of the season. I figured maybe Golden State will be sitting a bunch of guys, and I don't know. Steve Kerr won't even show up. Maybe, or maybe he'll let his kid like run the huddle. Nick Kerr, his kid, his kid US, his former first. USD. Oh, but oh shoot, that's he does. Yeah, he, oh, he works in their terrible. video room. Oh, yeah, I thought, you, did, did, you I didn't he, hear that? No, I thought he was with. I thought he was with them. Apparently, uh, Pop was joking the other day that they had to confiscate his phone because <laughs> they wanted texting stuff to his dad. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, that makes me feel a little better because he is a USD guy. Or he didn't finish there, but he played there at least. And you know what they say about USD? Making coaches. Exactly. Can't make good players. We making can't coaches. play, but we can coach. Fizz, what's up, Fizz? You'll look good on the Sun sideline next year, my friend. So, yeah, I, I, I put it at six, which would put them at 24 and 58, which is, uh, interestingly, the same record they had last year. Um. And, you know, I was kind of thinking about that. I'm like, man, what, if the Suns finish 24 and 58, have the same record as last year, or even finish worse, or even if they're a game or two better, I I, I, I still have this feeling this season is, you know, a far greater success than last year. And maybe it's this Earl Watson in me. I, maybe I shouldn't say that. That makes it sound bad. Um, but, I mean, you look at they, they've gone stretches without Booker. Booker's missed 15 games so far. Uh, they went up until two days ago without having really a NBA caliber starting point guard. Uh, and then you have the whole Jackson situation where it took him basically half the season to really start to f- slowly, but surely knock on wood, hopefully uh, figure things out and hopefully that continues to progress. So in light of all of that, if they get back to the same record and they get, a high draft pick and they get a DeAndre Ayton, you know what? I'm not going to, I'm not going to be upset over this. I'm not going to consider this a team that's treading water because I still see progress there. Right. And I, I, I'm on, I'm on the, I'm on the same level. I mean, they're, they were doing what we wanted them to do. I mean, I think, I mean, yeah, there've been some pretty rough losses in the mm-hmm. recent weeks, but again, that's because they're coming into their hard, the harder part of their schedule. They are playing some really, really good teams, and we're we're seeing the results of that. But I mean, when we had that first half of the year where they were playing, you know, me, mediocre teams and teams that are kind of more on the Suns' level, they can compete, and they were, and that that's kind of what we wanted to see. It's just we're kind of running into the part of the season where there's just none of those teams left. Right, right, right. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, I mentioned earlier that Ryan McDonough was on uh, Doug and Wolf earlier this week. And he said something that I think kind of, you know, basically is a very good short synopsis of, of that thought process. And that is he brought up that – and he was speaking about this in reference to the Spurs game – he was saying how this team, the Suns, with as much youth as they have, a lot of them might not just be physically ready to play against more veteran teams, teams that have more experience, teams that have guys who have been going through this year after year. I mean, you look at a guy like you know Josh Jackson, um, or even even with Bender and Chris still only being in their second years, you know these guys are used to 
seasons that are 30 games or so and now they're playing through 82 games and you've got these veteran teams who have players who maybe they have more miles on them but they also have you know more physicality they're used to this type of stuff and this young son's team is just not physically ready to play those more veteran teams especially as you get to the later part of the year and you know mcdonough to his credit said it's on the suns as a franchise as an organization to get those guys ready for it and and going back to what i said earlier about as fans all we can do is really put our hope and trust in the front office in the moves that they're making and in what that team is doing internally to develop these players both uh, in terms of their game and in terms of their physical abilities and their strength and conditioning and what have you marquise chris conditioning um you know he said it's on them to get on them to get them to that level uh and and hopefully over the next year two years three years those guys are going to continue to grow uh, as players and physically as well and uh, and and be able to uh, you know, bang with the the more experienced teams that have more experienced players that have been going through this year after year. I mean, you look at the guys that have led the Suns this year in in minutes and in games. You've you know, you've got Bender has played the, Bender and Daniels. I think are the two that have played the most games for the Suns this year, followed shortly thereafter by Jackson and Eulis. I mean, you're putting Daniels aside. Bender, Jackson, Eulis are basically three of the youngest guys on the team. Uh, it's not, with, not like Daniels is, a, is, isn't a spring chicken. He's he, so he's or, older is what you're saying, right? No, I think he, he's not, I, he, it's not like he I, is. Double negative that. Well, my he's mind still just, young. You, just put on, young. you just put my mind in a pretzel, Paul. Uh, okay. So, so, so there you go. So, I mean, they're, they're relying a lot on youth. I mean, even, even last year, you know, you, you had, you know, at least you know Bledsoe taking a chunks of minutes. You had Tucker, even though he got traded throughout the year. Um, Chandler, Chandler, yeah, exactly. Guys that weren't weren't really missing as much as some of you know the 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 quote unquote veteran guys have missed uh, you know this year. So when you're putting as much burden on your youth as the Suns have been doing this year, it's expected, at least from my perspective, that you're going to have games like that where they're just not physically capable of, of hanging uh and again it's a matter of putting it on the suns and hoping that the suns get all of that figured out work through that and if not we'll be like orlando and starting this all over in two years right yeah and i mean i i think that's where just to kind of bring it back to one of our one of our earlier points uh with regards to mcdonough is he's he got to start he was hired to do a certain thing and then that 2013-14 season happened, and they pivoted. And now he's actually getting the opportunity to do what he was brought in to do. And we kind of got to let him see it through. And I think he's putting, it, he's putting good pieces together. And on top of that, I think he's also, unfortunately, when we've had in prior years, when we've had top picks, have been in weaker drafts you know think that mm-hmm. you know alex len i mean even like the, the bender chris draft it wasn't a very strong draft you know josh Jackson's probably from the standpoint of strongest draft um he's gotten to draft the high pick in and that even in that one we fell a pick right, right. so looking at going into this draft which is arguably considered one of the best in a long like in a very long time you know when you've got like such a i don't know how deep it is but you you got that really solid top seven that we're going to come out with a good player just at the rate we're going and the more we lose the better chance we have at an even better player that can be really be that cornerstone that guy that kind of we around along with Booker to really make this that team that we that can go forward and be successful sure sure no I'm with you and and I'm I'm sure some people that listen maybe you're you know grow a little weary of the positivity and the hope and the expectations and the and the uh 
uh, optimism that we perhaps uh, exude on this podcast. But you know what? Like I said, as Suns fans, that's what we got. That's what yeah. we got. And, and we, I'm not going to lie. There have been seasons that have been rough to watch. This one, th- this is wh- why I think we're on a better track. It hasn't been a rough season to watch. It may get rough coming up, but up till now, it's actually been a rather enjoyable season, even though they only have 18 wins. Sure. No, I got you. So I take that as a good sign. All righty. I like it. I like it. So I will, uh, I think we're good. Got anything else, Paul? Nope. All righty. Well, um, while, while you were chatting, I was scrolling through Twitter and I want to give a little little shout out here because I, I enjoy Chris Hansen. Chris Hansen, not not the Dateline guy, but I, I enjoy Chris <laughs> Hansen's tweets and he, especially his his uh, hating on uh, Donovan Mitchell. It's just hilarious to me. In quotes, um, yes, <laughs> yes, and, and yes, exactly. And uh, he 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 said Alfred Payton has like twenty seven potential assists tonight, which just kind of shows this is one of those games too where the Suns just aren't making shots. Uh, so be it. And and also Chris and I got like lambasted by some random dude from China for like four hours the other night for being Suns fans. It was weird. Um, and I'm still worried about Chris's safety because the guy seemed very aggressive. But at any rate, since Paul has nothing else to add, I have nothing else to add besides that last little tangent, another tangent. Uh, as always, thank you for listening. You can catch Paul on Twitter at Jervish of World. And I am at so says Jay. You like I just changed it up. Usually I go me first and then you. Yeah, three. I know. I, I got I got I got confused there I got, I got I, I figured you did by that little pause. Um you can uh, tweet at the podcast itself at fan the flames NBA. And uh until next time, again, thank you for listening and as always, depending on when you're listening, have a good morning, good afternoon, or a good evening. I'll be back. Just